Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. good really good so excited to be here got a couple um cool reports but you know i was just I, I don't know in a time of thanksgiving a time of thankfulness there's just certain things that that trigger things in me and and i and i during worship and not to single anybody out but i'm going to um you know i'm sitting here worshiping and just just kind of almost like haphazardly just doing it and just kind of going through motions i look over at marla and i'm just seeing her just hands raised and here she is in a, in a wheelchair, just with a heart of worship, heart of praise. And it's like, you know, God just kind of like, just reminded me of the, the small things and to be thankful. And like, you know, I see Tony Canfarelli come here time and time again without, without legs. And, and like, these people just praise. And it's like, I have so much to be thankful for. And I'm, I love seeing people with who, who I would think would have trials in life. And, and then they're just, they're just praising. So I just admired that. And I know it touched the Lord's heart this morning. And just love your heart, Mike and Marla. Um, there's a praise report. Uh, how many know Amy um, Jackamit and her husband? Uh, I'm drawing a blank with his name right now. Jason. Jason. Uh, they were at first service. And I forgot to recognize this, but she, she Facebook messaged uh, Nicole and I. And um, he had a severe, critical open-heart surgery several months ago and uh, been going through the process. It might have been a year ago. I, I forget. It's been a, it's been a good amount of time. Um, so anyway, we had teams going down there and praying in ICU. They really didn't think he was going to pull through. And um, so they gave him two years to rehabilitate to get back to work, and they'd hold his position. And um, so anyway, this week he goes back to the doctor. He felt he was healed and had a word that he was healed at Pink Sunday. And they go back to the doctor today, and uh, at best case, they were hoping for 25% of his heart functioning, um, which would be stable, but not great. 50% is a normal heart. It's a normal, healthy heart at 50%. And um, he's at 45 to 50% confirmed this week. So he goes back to work on December 4th. Uh, to a full, full-time position. Uh, this is a guy that didn't think was going to walk out of the hospital, and now he's going back to full-time work. Yay, Jesus, right? So we know there's continual reports coming back of goodness happening in the body and what's, what's going on. So anyways, it's a, it's a good day. Um, it's, it's always a good day in the kingdom, right? I'm alive. I'm upright. It's, uh, it feels good. So I'm gonna, we're going to launch a series today. So I'm really excited about this. Um, it's been brewing for about six months in me. Um, well, definitely um, since, since July or so. July or August was really confirmed that we were going to do this. So it's called Every. And the, the principle, the basis of Every is, oh, one more announcement. One more announcement. Um, we, we heard word and got a little picture that a little baby Stuart was born about an hour ago or less. So there... There's a little baby, boy or girl? Boy, a little baby boy. So uh, we'll congratulate them from a distance for now. Uh, so don't show up unannounced, but maybe a text or a Facebook message or something would be appreciated. So little baby Stuart, I'm sure they'll be here in a few weeks. So anyways, uh, but we're launching a series today, and it's called Every. And, and it's really based off the, the, the basis in Acts 2, and we'll get to that verse here in a little bit. But every table, every house, 
every church and every community. And, 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 and the, really, the principle of it is, is, is really coming into, say, my relationship with the Lord. And we're starting at the table today. So the table is really communion with the Lord, communion with each other. So what does it look like for us to be so close to the Lord that I'm, I'm experiencing revival and transformation in my life, then into my marriage, then into my house? So every table, every house. So into my house, that my house is so transformed. My, my daughters are serving the Lord, my grandkids. You know, these, these things that that looks like and represents our family, our house. Then every church. So what's that look like as healthy marriages and healthy families that are experiencing revival, all coming from the seed of the revival with the Lord personally, then it comes into the church. And what's that look like to have such a church that truly resembles the bride of Christ? What does that look like that, that with all the people here in, in, in our services and all the people connected to the upper room, that we truly portray the true nature of God? The true nature, like he has 500 titles in the word of who he is. That means that's what he does and who, his, who he is. That's his nature. So the very essence of who God is, what does that look like for a church to portray a loving father, a friend, a savior, a miracle worker, a counselor? So all these things, so now our marriages, our, our things are coming together here now as a body that we're so healthy that people actually want what we have because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, and we look like the beautiful bride that God's called us to be. Then all of a sudden, it's every community, because now the community is not only being impacted like yesterday morning with the turkey dinners, but the community is being impacted just by the way we carry our lives, just the way we smile at the waitress, just the way that we do worship in church, and just the way that we actually genuinely love each other. What does it look like for every table, every house, every church, and every community to be transformed by the very presence of God and what his desire really is? Listen, his desire was that the whole earth would come to know him. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, right, but have everlasting life. So what's it look like as we, as we kind of trickle this out that we're in such overflow, we're in such health, we're in such goodness, and we're so full of his presence that there's revival everywhere we go. Listen, Paul was so full of Jesus so full of him that wherever he go, and Peter, they would literally, people would be healed in their shadows. Now, come on. They would break out of jails just by the presence of God, shaking walls, by singing hymns and just glorifying the Lord. What does that look like? So that's the series we're going after. It's going to be four months of goodness. So there's holidays involved. So these two weeks, we're focusing on the table. We're focusing on what does it look like to really have intimacy with the Lord. Today, it's going to be an invitation for you to have intimacy with the Father, to be consumed by his presence, to break bread with Jesus. So then next week, we're going to talk about with each other. And, and next week, we're going to talk about the creativity of the dinner table. We're going to talk about the impact that the dinner table itself has in our lives, in our culture, in our community. And also, the fact that Psalms 23 says he's preparing a table before the presence of who? Our enemies. What's that look like? This week, we're going to be dining with a lot of people. We might be dining with family members we really don't even like. We might be dining with people we don't agree with, maybe in their lifestyle sin, maybe, maybe we're dining with people that, you know, they just got a lot of junk. But guess what? What does it look like to literally sit down at that table? What does it look like to just love them? What does it look like 
to not worry about the differences and not worry about the, the, the discrepancies and division, but what does it look like that a table is actually prepared for us to bring reconciliation to our family and our relationships? Listen, God is not calling us a girlfriend or a fiance. He's calling us to be a bride. He's not calling us to a TV tray style dinner. He's calling us to a dinner table where he literally is the bread of life. And when we consume of him, when we take his bread, we live forever and we never go hungry. And when we drink of him, we never go thirsty. He's calling us to this table. Listen, Nicole and I, when we started dating and we started courting, and it was at the dinner table where we built an emotional connection. It was at the dinner table where we had a heart-to-heart connection. It wasn't, we didn't just all of a sudden leap into a wedding and now we're married. No, it was a process of getting to know each other. And I'm here to say that the dinner table was set up so that we could have communion And it doesn't always look so fancy like this. It doesn't always look like the pictures we're going to show you in the Bible today. It sometimes looks like pizza late at night with a group of buddies that you're just growing together with. Sometimes it looks like a cup of coffee where you're actually exposing differences. Listen, it's, and sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's, it's like, oh man, we've got to work this out. Yeah, because relationship is actually working it out and coming together in conflict. Listen, the dinner table is this place where we can actually work things up. I was around the table this week with leadership at the fire department and, and Matt and all the other chiefs and all the platoon commanders were there. And we were talking about a thing where there was a lot of disagreement. And Matt's going through the process of, of what this decision might entail. And, and then he's saying, listen, I, I know that you guys may not agree with me here, but all I'm asking is when you leave this room that you'll just trust us and that you'll just say it was the chief's decision. So listen, sometimes coming around a dinner table doesn't mean we agree, but it should mean we have unity. So at the end, I just spoke up and I said, listen, I I appreciate the freedom to disagree because everybody was sharing their input and their disagreement in it and and with with this thing going on. So there was all this, but then I said, but I also appreciate the request that we leave in unity. Listen, we may not always agree, and in our marriage, we may not always agree, and in this house, and this bride, we may not always agree, but we should at least have unity. That's a beautiful thing about coming into the bride. It's a beautiful thing about coming into a body and a community of believers where there's all these differences. It's, it's, it's amazing that we don't have to be a cookie-cutter church where everybody looks like Pastor Aaron. No, that would look so weird. Listen, you are your own person. You're your own gift. God gifted you. He created you. He uniquely formed you. Before you were even thought of, before in your mother's womb, he created you. He predestined you with purpose. And what happens is, if we're not showing up at the dinner table, suddenly something's missing. So I remember the story of David, and and they go to Jesse's house to find the next king. So they go to the table, and and all the brothers are there, and and Jesse's there. And and then all of a sudden, the, the, the people finding the king, he says, hey, there's one more son, he's missing, where's the youngest? Oh, he's just out tending the sheep. He's out doing just just the work that nobody else wants to do. And all of a sudden he says, no, that's who I need at the table. Listen, you may think you have nothing to offer. You may be out there tending to things that nobody wants to tend to. You may be the one cleaning the toilets in the church. You may be the one that's just picking up that piece of trash in the parking lot. But guess what, if you're not at the table, something's missing. You belong at the table. There's a space for you. And when you're not there, there's a piece of this body, there's a piece of this bride that's missing. Everybody brings something different. But all of a sudden, when we show up, there's this beautiful potluck dinner that we all get to contribute to and add value to. 
When we come to the table, it's not always easy. Steve Justice and I, we, we had some conflict about a month or two ago. And, and I just remember this time, we're going back and forth on text, and we're exchanging texts, and, and we're in pretty strong disagreement. And we're seeing things from a different perspective. How many enjoyed his word two weeks ago? Did a fantastic job. I loved hearing about Martin Luther, and I loved Martin Luther's desire to proclaim the gospel. I also love Martin Luther's desire to proclaim worship. You know, he wrote almost 70 hymnals, of which many of them are still sung today across churches around the world. It's amazing. So, so Steve... Who, who has a theological uh, degree and, and all these things, he, he tends to see things a little different than I see things and a little different than the way, you know, Josh Haas might see things or Micah or, or my dad. And, and that's the beautiful thing when we come together. All of a sudden, we see that somebody's weakness is, is my strength and somebody's strength is my weakness. So we have this, this conflict and, and we chose to actually pursue each other in a unified thing in unity rather than just create division in that conflict. So remember that we, we all of a sudden, I, I sent kind of a final text and, and, and had a few things in there and, and said, let's just meet in person. I feel that's best. And we both agreed that that was best. So we show up at Boston Stoker within a day or two. And we just have this meeting and, and we're just talking about the ministry and different things that are going on here. And, and I really value his input and the peace that he brings to this puzzle. So, so all of a sudden, we begin to learn each other's heart. We begin to expose our own hearts, and we begin to just be vulnerable, and we're both crying, and, and, he, and he says, listen, he said, listen, Aaron, this is why I'm a lifer at Upper Room. This is why I'm family, because of your heart, because this is what I love and see, and this is what I can add to the value to you where you're weak. And I said, see, and then the light bulbs are going off, and now we're getting excited. Now we're laughing, and now we're, we're strategizing. Like, yeah, let's do this and this. And today, this morning, the Foundations 2 is a product of that meeting of, like, of different minds, different perspectives coming together in a like-mindedness. That's the dinner table. That was over a table with a cup of coffee. We were having communion with one another, working out conflict, learning each other's hearts and perspective, and also learning what the other person is carrying that's valuable to me and the bride. And it's this amazing thing when God brings people to the dinner table. If you're not there, there's something missing. It's this cool thing that when you show up here, your seat needs you. Why? Because it actually needs to be, an, it needs to be pushing you, and, and you need to be here to be equipped to be sent out on a mission. And listen, we are incomplete without you. You might be a foot, you might be a knee, you might be an elbow or a wrist or a neck, but guess what? When we all come together, all of a sudden we're this beautiful, complete body that's in the direct likeness and the image of God. It's awesome. But when somebody's not here, when you're not here, when you're not fulfilling your destiny and doing your call, all of a sudden, it's now we're missing a piece of the puzzle. You ever put together a puzzle and you get to the end and you're missing like a piece or two? You're like, oh man, I did all that for nothing. That's what it feels like in your sphere of influence, in your calling, in your kingdom, whether it's the hospital you work at, the school you teach at, the business you own. Listen, you are the piece of the puzzle that's anointed for that place. And if you don't fulfill that calling, all of a sudden, we've got this incomplete puzzle. It's the same thing with the body here. And it's the same thing as this trickles out. Let's go to the dinner table in the word here. What if we actually looked at every table, every table as not just an offering of sacrifice, but also an opportunity? What if we looked at every table as an altar and an opportunity? All of a sudden now, we're, we're at this place that, that now we see the value. We get to learn each other. We're breaking bread. 
We're, we're eating a Dairy Queen blizzard together. Right? We're drinking a Pepsi together. Or whatever else. I, my wife doesn't drink Pepsi anymore. I still do. <laughs> but what's it look like if we treat every table as an opportunity and an altar? Like, God, we give this to you. Every night, we... Um, it's special to me to, to raise my girls that they will know and realize, first off, that they're the most important human beings in my life. And second off, that I actually look like the Jesus they want to serve. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. I'm saying I need to reflect him so they want to serve the God that I'm serving. If I'm an animal and I portray something different off the stage to them and they see a different person at home than they see up here as funny and light and loving and caring and then we get home and I'm just a butthole, honestly, what good am I doing? So every night we have supper as a family around our table and, and we put our cell phones on the counter and on vibrate and we just take this time and we, we utilize this time to get to know them. There's a verse in the Bible that says, be interested in the lives of others. So every single night, we ask the same exact question to each one of the girls. How was your day today, and what was the best thing that happened to you? What was the best thing about your day? And then we all go around, and it ends with me, and, and they're, they're excited. And then we say, okay, now what was the most challenging thing about your day today? Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's, uh, just, you know, recess was, I, I, I want to play with this friend, but that friend was already playing with somebody. And sometimes it's minor. But what's happening is they're learning that I value them. And then, all of a sudden, we'll have Hadassah or somebody get up, and, and they'll just walk away. And we're like, no, no, wait, Hadassah, you didn't ask to be excused. Olivia's still sharing. And, and what she has to say is very important. So now we're adding, we're, we're, we're demonstrating them, and we're teaching them they are valuable. What they have to say matters. This is all around the dinner table. What if we treated every dinner table like that? What if we treated every table, every desk, every conference table like this? Listen, in, in today's culture, these tables look a little different, but what if we're treating that cubicle like a place of an altar and a place of, of a sacrifice and a place of an opportunity to do and to be Jesus Christ? So let me, let me go to the word here. Let's, let's start with, it's interesting in the word how many times the table is, is referenced and how many times the table is, is actually part of the story. And I can't even touch close to, I, I found over 70 examples in the word of when a table was as part of the picture. That's the only the times mentioned. But so many times when Jesus would heal the lepers, all of a sudden it says he reclined back from the table. When the woman with the alabaster jar came to anoint him and, and, and worship him, all of a sudden it says he reclined back from the table. Listen, something was happening there. He was cultivating an atmosphere of community. He was doing life with those people that no one else wanted to do life with. And then I, I love the part of the story with the, with the woman with the alabaster jar. He says, the Pharisees said, Do you, don't you realize this woman's full of sin? It didn't bother Jesus. He's at the table. He pulls back. He's now not engaged in this conversation, but he leans back to just receive the blessing and to let this girl worship him who was full of sin. It's amazing to see all the examples. I, I remember... Um, that Nicole, during River Conference, there was a morning session. She talks about the vision of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 40, starting at verse 38, she talks about the eight tables. Now, this is a vision of the future temple. Now, 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 just track with me for a minute here. This was a vision of the future temple, which also lined up with the, with the vision of John in Revelations 20, 21. 
So 20 and 21. So, so here's a vision that's portrayed through Ezekiel, and it talks about eight tables leading to the entrance of the inner courts. So it talks about these eight tables, and each one was used for something different. But the number eight, she talked about, it says it means this, resurrection, regeneration, and new beginning. It's interesting to know that this is the eight tables, the number eight, meaning resurrection, regeneration, and new beginning. And this is the, the, the vision of the new temple, all right, that would likely be in the new Jerusalem is where, where we're going with this. So then we go back to the Old Testament, and we go back to Leviticus and Exodus chapters 25 and, and even 35 that's talking about the tabernacle. And it's talking about the tabernacle, and if you look at the outer courts of the tabernacle, I, I kind of geek out about the temple every once in a while. All right, I kind of, I've studied it. I used to do a tabernacle prayer, and, and I, I used to get really, like, geeked out about this. So if you look at the tabernacle, the outer courts had these tables that lined it, and in the center of them was the brazen altar. So, so this was amazing to me. And, and, and they talk about how the, the vision of Ezekiel, the new temple, resembled the old temple, but was totally different dimensions. Now, here's what I'm going with. The new table might have its own thing in it, but it will always resemble part of the old table. Now, now let me give you an example here. The new season might, it's a new season all of its own with its, all of its own new dimensions. But the old season isn't dirt and doesn't mean anything. It actually plays a purpose for the new season. You'll see a reflection always of the old season into the new season. Listen, God has not wasted your time. And everything you've been through and all the trials you've been through and all the seasons you've been through and all the history that you've built, he's not wasted your time and he's always been there. He was never absent in any of that. As terrible as it was, as good as it may have been. Listen, we can't live on just yesterday's bread. When the manna was falling to the Israelites, it said that they had to have fresh bread daily. We're going to get to the inner courts, the inner, the holy place of the temple. And every, they had a, the, the table of showbread. And in that, there was, the ta- there was the bread, the bread of his presence, also means the bread of his face, was set there and it, and it was sliced into 12, representing the tribes of Israel. So here's, but it says that the, the high priest, Aaron and the high priest, they would go in there on the Sabbath every week and change out the bread. They would eat the bread and then put new fresh bread out every Sabbath. Listen, we can't live on yesterday's bread. We need fresh experience. We need fresh bread daily. We need fresh encounters. You can't live on just yesterday's bread. When we moved into the new building here, we, we wanted to embrace the history. There's something about honoring the past. There's something very powerful about honoring those who've went before you. There's something very powerful, in my opinion, about honor. You look at David and see how he honored Saul, knowing it wasn't the call for the new kingdom, but yet he honored Saul for the old kingdom. Now, now here we get to this new building, and we're like, well, we want to embrace something. So many of you probably don't even realize this, but those little stained glass pictures out in the lobby in the narthex, those are actually from the doors of our old building. Why? Because we wanted to bring something with us that we could recall and remember the old season with. Because we don't want to forget it. We may not want to go back there, (laughs) but we don't want to forget it. Because if we forget history, we might repeat it. 
And that's what's happening in America and some of the world issues right now. We're forgetting history, so it's being repeated. But here's the thing. Embracing the new means that I am content with the present. I'm thankful for what came in the past, but I'm looking forward to the future. So this vision of Ezekiel tying in the new temple is actually embracing part of the old temple, but having its literally own fresh feel. So we get to the temple here and, and the tables outside in the outer courts. It was the brazen altar was in the center. And, and this was this, this basically like a courtyard, if you could imagine. It was all fenced off. And there was just a small building and part of it on one end of it. And that was the holy place. And within that was the holiest of holies that a veil was torn. We'll get there in a second. But in the outer courts leading up into the holy place, there was these tables. And in the center of that was the brazen altar. It was where, and those tables were, were being used to be prepared for the sacrifice. It's where they would bring in the sheep or the, the lamb. And they would actually take the innards out and they would, they would take the innards out and they would put wood and then they would put it on the altar and burn it. It's a burn, burnt sacrifice, a burnt offering. Listen, sometimes our tables aren't easy. Sometimes our, our tables may not have been the easiest to get prepared or get ready. And sometimes it might be in front of an enemy or a person that we don't even want to be around. I'm just going to be real with you. I love hanging out with people that are going to sharpen my iron as I sharpen theirs. I love it. But there are times I'm called to a table to pour out and never get anything in return. It's called a table of sacrifice. So, so we get out there, and, and what's happening is that is a table. It's an altar. That table is preparing us to give ourselves a living sacrifice to be put on the altar as a burnt sacrifice so that then we can enter into the holy place. This is, it's, it's almost like if you're being funneled in. And then you get into the holy place, and, and there's a couple things with that. And by the way, this is all in Leviticus 24, Exodus 25, and 35. So we get into the holy place, and it's, it's literally a room. I, th I think it was 15 feet wide, 30 feet long, and 15 feet tall. This, I'm going by memory. Some, it's small. So you come in. That's the sound of heaven coming to earth through little shoeboxes. <laughs> so we get in there, and on the right side is a table, and it's the table of showbread. And it's the table of showbread, and in this, like I said, has fresh bread every Sabbath. And it's, and it's sliced into 12 pieces, representing the tribes of Israel. And then on the other side is a lampstand with seven candles in it. And that's representing the light of God. So we have the body, we have the bread of life, and the light of Jesus. Now, without this light, it was the only light in the entire holy place. So without it, we'd be in darkness. So Jesus not only gives himself to be the light of the world, but he also gives himself to be the bread of life that will never be hungry again because we'll taste and see that he's good. Now in the center, somewhere up here, just in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies in which only the high priest could go there one day a year on the day of atonement on our behalf. So there's a veil which makes it so amazing when you go to the crucifixion and you realize that the veil, it says, was torn from heaven to earth, torn in two. What does that mean? That means now it doesn't take a high priest to give me access to the Lord. Now it's not just one day a year. Now I can feast on Jesus and I have an all-access pass every day of the year, every minute of the day, as much as I want. Because now I get to go to him directly. 
And what's amazing is it was torn from heaven to earth, meaning he's bringing heaven to earth so heaven can actually operate within us, around us, and through us. So in the, in the center of the candle in the table of showbread is the altar of incense, freshly burning all the time. Now, here's, here's what I was gathering from this. Somewhere between the light and somewhere between needing him to wash away our darkness and communing with him with the table of showbread and, and, and being able to encounter him and being able to be in his presence. Listen, this is literally meaning his presence. It's communion. It's an invitation all the time. So he's the light. Somewhere in between needing him and just wanting to be in his presence is an altar of sacrifice. Somewhere standing in the gap is this altar of sacrifice. As we face the holiest of holies, there's this place of an altar again. So outside you have an altar of sacrifice, and inside you have an altar of incense, burning, offering up worship. And oftentimes we want to just get from here to there. We want to go from, from just our sin, our sin with the lampstands and our darkness, and we're in our darkness, and we just want him to light it so we can go straight to the presence. But I'm here to tell you that somewhere in the midst of that, somewhere in the middle of the room, is this altar of incense where he's saying, actually, to get here to here, you need to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You need to present yourself and submit to the Lord. Listen, he didn't just die a little bit for us. He didn't just take 12 stripes for our healing. He took them all. He died all the way. So listen, if we're over here and we say, well, we'll just die a little bit, all of a sudden, a little bit comes down, and I can only get filled up just a little bit because that's the only space I left for Jesus. Listen, I have to die all the way on this altar, whether it's the brazen altar out there or the altar of incense in here, I have to die all the way. I have to die to my flesh. I have to die to the old man and actually live in the new man. Somewhere in there is not me just living for me. It's me living for the tribes of Israel. It's me living for you as well. It's me living for my family. It's me saying yes to righteousness and yes to purity so my girls don't have to deal with that generational curse anymore. I think I'm preaching here. And I think I need some water really bad. It's twice I forgot water today. What nobody ever sees is, I get up here and I have gum. We're going to go on a bunny trail for a second. <laughs> I have gum up here, and I realize there's gum in my mouth. So I take a drink, and I release the gum as I let it out. So in, oh, I've already done it in here. You didn't even realize it. She gave me a water bottle earlier. I did the same exact thing. And, and she just told me as she gives me this, I've been drinking out of your water bottle, and it had gum in it. Cheers. We're in communion today. The table of showbread. So somewhere in between the light of the world washing away our darkness and the showbread of his presence, the showbread of his face, it's, it's a face-to-face -face encounter. Somewhere in the midst of there is this sacrifice where we actually die to ourselves, And we deny ourselves, and we pick up our cross and we actually follow him. And we get to communion with him and commune with each other anytime we want. What does it look like 
if we treat every table, every moment, every secret time, secret place in his presence as an opportunity and an altar, what does that actually look like? What does it look like if we're not just rushing through buying our groceries at Kroger, but we're actually in tune with the Holy Spirit of who he wants to love that day? What does it look like if now about this dinner we're going to have with another couple, we're just asking about their marriage because we want to sharpen them and we want them to be so healthy and so transformed and so alive? What if it's not just about me getting something? What if it's about me giving something? What if it's not about just me getting value, but now I'm adding value too? What, what does that look like if we treat every dinner experience, every coffee experience as, as an intentional act of the love of Jesus? What does that look like? What does it look like in our worship time if it's not just about a goosebump or a miracle? What if it's not just about this, this, this healing, but it's sometime about just offering him at the altar of incense ourselves as a living sacrifice to just come into his presence to just eat his bread and drink of him? What does that look like? I'm excited for next week to talk about communing with each other but I'm so excited for the opportunity that I get on a daily basis to communion, to commune with him directly. I'm so excited to actually eat of his body and drink of his blood and taste and see that he's good and never be hungry and never be thirsty again. Let me, let me close with a couple scriptures as the band comes. Acts 2 says this. It's 42 through verse 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is pretty much the theme verse for the entire series. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Some versions say, in the breaking of bread. It says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money in those in need. They worshiped together in the temple, in the church, each day, and met in homes. They went house to house for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship from the community those being saved daily. Now, now listen, this is, this is exciting to know that as, as, we're, as we're moving forward, what does it look like to be so consumed with his presence, so in awe of him in worship, and so sacrificial in the way that we live our life, the way we serve him? And I'm not talking about this as a performance system. I'm not talking that this is earned. Listen, it's by his grace we're saved. It's a free gift. But what I'm talking about is the way we live our lives. And, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm really convinced that I can only love others to the extent I love myself. So I'm also not saying that you have to give it all and sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. What I'm saying is, as we love the Lord well and we love ourselves well, it allows us to love our neighbor well. But it typically starts at a dinner table. If you look throughout time, if you look what Jesus did with the disciples, we're going we're gonna to go with that. The Last Supper, what was happening? He's, he's communing with them. He's breaking bread. He's, he's having this experience. He says, listen, I, I've got to go away. But somebody, he's coming greater than me. He, he's, he's making these promises. He'll be, he'll be, it's the Holy Spirit. He's going to comfort you and guide you. So, so here's this, this beautiful dinner table. And it's this beautiful picture of what friendship looks like. 
what parenting looks like, what life looks like, what companionship looks like, what trials look like. All at the Lord's Supper, if you can just pull this apart, I can imagine they're laughing. Remember the time at the table where, where the disciples are arguing? Who's the greatest? And you know the thing is, Jesus never corrected any of them. So sometimes even a little healthy competition is good. I just like to win. <laughs> just don't, yeah, Jay says, yeah, the Simmons family. <laughs> Unless you've ever played cards with my wife. It's cutthroat. My wife has literally cheated at guess who to beat our daughter Chloe when she was about three or four years old. It's sad. Why don't you stand with me? The goal of every dinner table experience, the goal of every table is that every person walks out feeling freed, understood, honored, and most importantly, loved and valued. That's, that's what happens. You know, Andrew and Lauren and us, we, we met this week, the four of us, and it was, it was this fun experience. We had coffee, just sharing, how are you doing? How's your health? How's your marriage? And then they said, well, what are your expectations for us? Because we're, we're in this, we're all in. What are your expectations for us? Are we meeting your expectations? You're blowing our expectations out of the water. You're doing amazing. And we're just, we're just sharing life over this. Jesus, he, he comes to this place in John 6. He says this. He says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. Listen, in the beginning, it started with the marriage, it started with the family. And in the end, it's going to end with the marriage and it's gonna end with the family. It's, it's called Jesus the groom is returning for his bride. So it started with Adam and Eve in the garden and it's gonna end with a bride and groom being married on the rapture. He's not asking us right now to be a girlfriend or a fiance. He's asking us, you, to be a bride. He's asking you for intimacy. He's, let me just, let me just throw it out there. He's not asking to be friends with benefits and he's not asking you for the, for the pleasures of the bedroom. He's asking you for the emotional heart connection for the bedroom. He's calling you into the secret place, the chambers of heaven. But it starts at a dinner table. He started with the disciples at a dinner table. He started, you know, with, with an invitation at the tabernacle, starting at the, the tables of sacrifice and coming in to the table of showbread. It's, it's moving from sacrifice and me living for me, giving it all up so now that I can be in his presence and live for him. It, 
it's this beautiful picture of what a groom and a bride looks like. Listen, Nicole and I started dating and we were going to Applebee's. It was our favorite place. It's amazing. They had this bobbly bread that was just awesome. Anybody else remember that? Yes, it was so good. They should have never got rid of that. So we would sit there and we would break bread together and what's happening is we're learning each other. We're learning the mysteries of each other. And in the moment I realized that she was not a salad kind of girl, I was sold. I was in love. We're breaking bread and eating hamburgers together. And oh, she loves blizzards as well? I'm all in. Listen, this, that's what the invitation is for you today. It's for the intimacy of God. And I'll be honest, some of us, our dinner experience and the visions that we have with God, it might be pizza. It might be a blizzard, I don't know. It's okay to have fun with the Lord. But here's the thing, it's all about the intimacy with the Lord. It's, it's calling you to be a bride, not a girlfriend. He's calling us to be a bride. And it starts at a dinner table with Him and with each other. So I'm just gonna pray for you. And then what we're gonna do is we're just gonna allow you an opportunity to just have that face-to-face -face encounter. Allow that time, the table of showbread, the table of His presence experience. So God, I thank you right now. I thank you for every person in here. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are the bread of life. I thank you for every dinner table. I thank you for every coffee table. I thank you for every table that is not just an altar, but also an opportunity. I thank you that we can live so sacrificially and, and so apart from ourselves to live with you, Jesus, to commune with you. The, the table of showbread was an open invitation, Lord, for us to dine with you, to commune with you, to break bread with you, to eat of your body every day, God. Fresh bread, fresh manna. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for the power of communion. I thank you for the power of breaking bread. I thank you for the power of your presence, God. God, I thank you for the power of sacrifice, that we, can, that we can die to ourselves in such a way we're all the way emptied out, that you can fill us up and our cups runneth over to the point of overflow and dripping and leaking out on everybody around us to reveal your true nature and how good you really are. God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the table. And I thank you that you're the bread. I thank you that you're also the light. Jesus, we thank you. They're just going to uh, 